This is Gesher, the podcast that's bridging the gap between the Jewish and evangelical Christian communities with conversations that matter. Here's your host, Ty Perry, with the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Gesher. My guest today is Chris Katalka, my friend and the director of North American Ministries at the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry, and he's here to talk with me about his recently released book, Israel Always, Experiencing God's Pursuit of You Through His Chosen People. Chris, welcome to Gesher. Hey, Ty, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. So, Chris, I have to say, I really enjoyed your book. Um, I read it uh, in, in on two flights. I had a flight to the West Coast. I read the first half one way and then the other half the other way it was a it was a an easy read um really great book um and it's an, a succinct overview of israel's history uh theologically as well as just a, a timeline of their history from abraham um, all the way up to the present day and what i so enjoyed about it is that israel is your topic but the lord is really the star of the show and um, I have to ask you, why did you write this book? I mean, there's a lot of books about Israel, um, but why this book in particular? You know, I wish I could say that I wrote it and then somebody picked it up because it was something that, I, you know, I, I really, really wanted to, um, you know, invest time in. But it happened the other way around. You know, uh, I've been ministering with Friends of Israel for, for probably 20, almost 20 years. And um, Israel has been a... Uh, passion of mine that Christians understand the value of Israel biblically for for decade uh, you know two, almost two decades now um, and so uh, I'm thankful that Harvest House who's the publisher of the book yeah uh, you know has heard me on the radio as the host of the Friends of Israel today and a writer for Israel My Glory magazine and you know they had they have the same desire that you know we here at the Friends of Israel has as well. And so they reached out and asked if I would write a book for somebody that could get them to the Holy Land or when they return from the Holy Land to kind of recap everything they saw mm. or just even to see the faithfulness of God. And so, you know, the reason I wrote the book is because, number one, it's on my heart all the time. It's something I speak about, write about, all of it. But at the same time, it was a great collaboration with uh, Harvest House, who has the same passion as well and wanted to see it through. And so it's a collaborative work. Um, and so, you know, but it was always been something on the tip of my tongue, if you will, to want to get out. And I'm thankful that Harvest House was the conduit to let that happen. Well, you open the book with a discussion of God's choice of Abram uh, to be this uh, kind of the father of this new nation. And you write, I'm quoting you here, God called Abraham to step out in faith to follow him into places unknown. The journey did more than change his physical surroundings. God chose Abraham to reintroduce the world to its creator. I love that line there, that it's to reintroduce the world to its creator. Work that out for us. Why did God need to reintroduce himself to the world? You know, uh, I think Paul, the apostle, talks really well about this in, in Romans chapter 1 and Romans chapter 2, that, you know, the world has a tendency— uh, humans have a tendency to forget their creator and they end up worshiping the, the things they create. And that's not just something that happens to ancient people. It's something that happens to us today in our culture that we live in. And so, you know, when you go back into the Bible and you read about the creation account, you see that God created everything. Um, and then within moments, it seems like Adam and Eve forgot about their creator. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden the people forgot 
uh, and Noah appears and, you know, reminds, uh, you know, Noah's reminded of who the creator is and becomes the conduit uh, again. And then finally, it happens one more time where God chooses specifically a line that he's going to use, a family line that he's going to use to reintroduce the world to the creator, breaking the molds of all the culture that existed at that time. You know, Abram grew up in a culture of idol worship, you know, um, um, of a pantheon of gods. Um, and all of a sudden here is Abram being called to step out in faith and to go to a land that he was unsure of, Israel, um, and also to think absolutely differently about God, which mm -hmm. is that there is one true God, monotheistic, there is one true God, and he does not uh, take the form of an idol. Um, so total countercultural. So the way that Abram probably looked in the world at that time was like a total stranger compared to everybody else. And so, you know, that that's one of the reasons I said that is because Abram becomes countercultural in that moment. And really, as a Christian, we've been called to be countercultural. And so to, to go against the, the culture of the time. And so Mo, uh, Abram definitely stood out. And I think it took faith to do that. I think it takes a lot of faith to say, OK, I don't follow a pantheon of gods and idols anymore. I believe in the one true in, uh, invisible God. Wait, what? You know, what are you talking about, Abram? Uh, that's different. Well, yeah, Abram stepped out in faith in a multitude of ways, and it changed the, the dynamics of how we understand who God is in many ways, even to this very day. And you make the point that Abraham really contributed nothing to this new relationship. Um, you know, theologically, the, the arrangement that God makes with Abraham is called the Abrahamic Covenant. And uh, you make the point that uh, had Abraham, and I'm quoting you here, had Abraham entered the covenant with God, the promise would have been broken before the close of the book of Genesis. Why is that? That's because ma just like man has failed God over and over and over again uh, throughout history, uh, God had to make a covenant with himself in order to fulfill the promise that he made to Abraham, because ultimately the promise, if you read through the promise, it's amazing to me. God wanted to give Abraham a land, Israel, a descendants, which are his chosen people, the Jewish people, and then a blessing, a blessing of protection. I'll bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. But then he says, he gives them in the blessing, he gives Abram and his family the divine purpose that he's called them for, which is to bring blessings to all the families of the earth that Abram through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed, which is a divine purpose. And God needs that divine purpose to happen because it's going to be through the lineage of, of Abram, Abraham, that you're going to have the coming of Jesus, the Messiah. And so in God's sovereign plan, it's not like God's making this up on the fly. It's all a part of his sovereign plan in his sovereign plan. If, a if it were up, to Abraham to fulfill that promise, uh, even if it made it through him and then got to his son Isaac, Isaac would have broken it. And maybe then sure. Jacob would we definitely know Jacob would have broken it. And we know, you know, then they had the, the whole history of Israel, they would have broken it over and over and over again. God knew that. God knows us uh, because he's the creator and we're his creation. And in so doing, he, he ultimately, it says, it says in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13, that God made up when he was making the promise to Abraham. He made the promise to himself because he could swear by nothing higher than his own name. Mm. Um, so it was incredibly vital 
that God made the promise to himself. He ultimately curses himself, Ty, because he says, if I don't fulfill this promise to Abraham, uh, then I'm a liar and I'm not God then. Right. And so anyway, that is, I think, at the it's at the crux of the entire book because everything that you're going to read after that is predicated on the fact that God called Abraham and gave him a divine promise that can't be broken. Part of that promise and you references is the land. And um, there's been no uh, small debate about the ownership of that land for the last couple hundred years and, and even into this, into the ancient past. But let's talk about that because Israel's location, the, the, the land of Israel was also no, no mistake. And you make this point in your book, uh, you reference the bunting clover leaf map. Tell the audience about that. Yeah, there's this 15th century uh, map that was made by a cartographer with the last name Bunting. And it's a very famous map of the world at that time and more of a, a, of a bigger picture of how the world felt or what, what was kind of the centerpieces of the world. And you had the three major continents at that time, especially if you're German, uh, so you're in Europe. So one of the clover leaves is, is the European continent. One of the other clover leaves is the Asian continent. And then the final clover leaf down at the bottom is Africa, the African continent. But what's kind of binding all of those clover leaves together is, is the Holy Land, is Israel. Yeah. And so even in the 15th century, they were understanding. And not only was Bunting a, um, a cartographer, he was also, uh, you know, a, a he wasn't a pastor, but he was a, a monk of some sort. Mm. Um, and so, you know, he valued the scriptures and Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel says that the Lord says that he chose Jerusalem and he made it the center of the world. And so it was the center of the world. And I believe it remains the center of the world uh, because its location was actually the place where all of the, all of the nations uh, were traversing. They had to go through, the world had to go through Israel. If you were in Egypt and you wanted to go to Europe, you had to go through Israel. If you were in Persia and you wanted to go to Egypt or modern day Iran, you had to go through Israel. There was actually a very ancient highway system that still basically, some of the highways of Israel still follow this ancient highway called the International uh, Coastal Road or the Great Trunk Road because it a lot of... Uh, um, uh, roads would splice off mm. from the from the Great Trunk Road, but it was a highway system that the nations used, and they had to go through Israel. So God placed Abraham and his family not in a place that's just uh, got great fruit and and vegetables, and you know it's easy living. No, He actually chose him because He was supposed to be a divine blessing to bring blessing to all the families of the earth. Well, God brought the families of the earth right to Abraham and his descendants, choosing that area of the land of the land. I find that fascinating because, um, you know, some of my Jewish friends, they often talk about how the Jewish people were never given a mandate to go into the world and to tell people about the God of Israel, maybe with the exception of Jonah, but they still had a mandate just by their very geography that the pe the nations were going to come to them. And then now in the church age, it's reverse where the church is to go into the world. Um, and then of course, in the, in the end, in the uh, millennial kingdom, it'll be Back to square one, where the nations will be coming through Israel again. That's that's fascinating. I always say I think I think the Apostle Paul took a lot of cues from Jonah 
He mm. just was obedient Jonah. And he had carried the exact same message as Jonah. And uh, the message was, hey, judgment is coming, but God's provided a way through forgiveness. And I think he saw what Jonah was called to do, but Jonah went in the opposite direction. Paul went exactly where God had commanded him to go. So I always consider Paul the obedient Jonah, but Israel was called to be obedient in the land mm. that if God, if they followed God's commands, uh, God would bless their socks off. And by blessing their socks off, all the world would look and go, what's going on over there? What's going on in that land? And so they would come through and learn about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But the problem was, and you know this, Ty, and you don't have to be a Bible scholar to know this, they didn't trust God. They mm. didn't follow his commands. And for that reason, they faced more of God's judgment than they did God's blessing throughout the Old Testament. Well, let's talk about that, because when you look at Israel's history, there are some bright spots, but from, you know, really from the time of Moses on, the history of the Jewish people, I always say it's, it's one played in the minor key. It's a pretty sad history. Um, so why is that? If this is supposed to be this nation that's, that's a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, why have the Gentiles subjected them and why is their history so sad? Yeah, it's all it roots back to this prom, uh, this uh, covenant that God made with with Israel in Deuteronomy chapter twenty eight, and I would encourage uh, your listeners on your podcast to read Deuteronomy twenty eight because it really sets the stage. If you want to understand why the prophets write the way they write, uh, I always say prophets. I'll, a lot of times we get this idea that a prophet is just some prognosticator of the future, mm. when really a prophet was just looking back at what the Old Testament said in Deuteronomy. And then comparing Israel to its current, you know, way of relating to the Lord and judging it and prophesying against it, saying you're not following God. Uh, so since you're not following God, let's go back to Deuteronomy chapter 28 and see what God says is going to happen. And then there's a series of judgments that come as a result of their disobedience. So when a prophet spoke about the future, it wasn't just these visions all the time of these future prophetic events that take place. Oftentimes, they're only repeating, a prophet's only repeating what God had already set in place in Deuteronomy 28. And so that's why it's really important to understand that passage. But I'll also say this, you know, I don't think it's out of God's um, uh, sovereignty that Israel acted in disobedience. In, in Deuteronomy 9.5, God says to Israel, I didn't choose you because of your righteousness. <laughs> you know, it's not like you're this great group of people that right. deserve all this fantastic stuff, you know, you, in fact, it, you, you, you disobey me over and over and over again. And we're only, we're only five books into this thing. Okay. There's 61 more to go. And so we're only five books in. I didn't choose you because of your righteousness or your greatness or how big you are or powerful. I chose you actually, I think more because of your weakness and because of your humility and because you are small in number because it's going to be through your brokenness, Israel, that I'm going to, my glory is going to shine. Um, and that's how God uses, I don't think just Israel. I think that's how he uses us. You know, mm. we're always attracted to the the strong, the mighty, all these things, but really God's going to use the weak in order to bring um, the message of, of his, of his, uh, of salvation. It's, it's in weakness that God uses us the most. And so I think there's a lot. I always say Israel's story is my story too, you know? Mm -hmm. So you can track along with Israel and I can find those same areas in my life of idol worship, of, of going the wrong direction, but then God calling me back and, and realigning my life with him. So I find a lot of parallels there 
uh, between Israel and my own life. Um, but anyway, that's just, it's just something interesting if you're able to study Deuteronomy 28. Yeah, a fascinating passage. Um, in the same vein, there are you, you give a lot of dates, um, and it's not a dense historical book. I think you do a good job of giving an overview. But there's three dates that I think are pretty important that you discuss, 70 A.D., 135 A.D., and 1948. So talk to us about those. Why are those significant to our Jewish friends? Yeah, you know, uh, Ty, you're married with kids, and so you know that there's certain dates you have to remember your anniversary and your wife's <laughs> birthday. You know, there are certain dates you have to remember um, when it comes to why things are the way they are today uh, when it comes to Israel and the Jewish people. 70 AD was a dramatic moment in Israel's history because that's when the temple was destroyed um, and Rome, uh, 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 Rome ultimately leveled Jerusalem and Rome leveled the temple, um, which was a sign of God's judgment on Israel. This isn't the first time this happened. It actually had happened before in 586 as a sign of judgment. And it was actually Jesus who predicted this judgment mm. in Matthew chapter 24 and, yeah. and, um, and, uh, and other passages as well. And so, you know, uh, 70 AD is a dramatic moment because now the hub of, of Judaism breaks down. There's no temple to worship at. Um, it's like it's like the engine of your car dropping out and you've got nothing left. That, that was the engine. That was the driver of Judaism. And so uh, as a result of 70 AD, Judaism of today uh, looks the way it looks because they had to reform Judaism in order to keep it going because we don't have a temple anymore. And right. you see that even in the Passover Seder. If, you know, Jewish families celebrate a Passover every year, they can't eat a lamb because they don't have a temple to sacrifice the lamb in. Mm. And so everything's been altered in the way we understand Judaism um, as a result of 70 AD. Uh, Jews were actually welcomed back not long after 70 AD into Jerusalem. But then again, another revolt popped up in 135 AD called the Bar Kokhba revolt, the second Jewish revolt. And that was enough for Emperor Hadrian to say, I'm done with these Jewish people, uh, kick them out, completely banish them, um, and we're going to actually rename uh, uh, Israel or, or Judah at that time, Judea. We're going to name it, rename it Palestinia, um, is connected to Israel's enemies, the Philistines. Mm -hmm. And we're going to we're going to get rid of the name of Jerusalem, too. And we're going to name it Ariel Capitolina. Um, and we're going to put a big altar and, and temple to Jupiter right where the temple once stood. And so he, Hadrian in 135 AD kicked all the Jewish people out completely. And then as a result, uh, um, completely made Jerusalem a Gentile land, tried to make it as Gentile and Roman as possible. And so as a result, Jewish people scattered all around the world um, and they, become, they became a part of the diaspora community. Um, but in 1948, uh, ama something amazing happened. Uh, Israel was able to declare itself a nation again. Jewish people were moving back to the land. There's a whole history to that, but they were moving back to the land. And so the Jews that were once in diaspora completely are now back in the land of Israel. And it's only been within recent times, within the past few years, that Israel has become the number one place for Jewish people to live globally. Yeah. Uh, it has the largest population of Jewish people in Israel. And the Jewish communities around the world are kind of shrinking, especially in Europe, um, Eastern Europe. They're shrinking. 
and Israel's getting bigger. Um, really, America is the only other country with a very significant Jewish population. But oh, that's only 75 years, if you think about it. Right. 75 years, the, yeah, the migration of the Jewish people left Europe and moved to Israel for the most part, or the United States. Well, modern Israeli history is, uh, to me at least, almost as exciting and monumental as the biblical and ancient history. Um, and you, you detail their history very well. For the Jewish people, we understand how significant the rebirth of the Jewish state is. I mean, from, from 70 AD to 1948, that's a lot of time and a lot of persecution that happens in the diaspora. But I wonder, how should followers of Jesus understand the modern state of Israel today? What's the significance for believers? I always think it's 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 tough, and I understand it, because um, we're asking people to look at what's happening politically um, and globally, the kind of things that you see in the newspaper, and we're asking them to think spiritually about them. Um, and, you know, I think sometimes what we do is we separate the earth uh, and heaven so much mm. Uh, that, you know, whatever happens on earth is, you know, of earth. And then, you know, our minds should be fixed on things of heaven, which they should be. Um, but at the same time, God calls earth his footstool. So whatever is happening on earth is a connection to the very presence of God in heaven as well. And so, you know, 1948 was a monumental moment because something that I want wanted the readers of Israel always to know is that God's faithfulness has remained uh, a, a constant throughout Jewish history. Uh, when God called Abraham, he made a promise that I will, you know, that that uh, he would uh, bless those who bless him and curse those who curse him, and that he would give him land and descendants and a blessing, and that through Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And the prophet said, hey, you know what? Judgment's coming, but there's going to be a day when you're going to return to the land. And so even the prophets in the midst of some of the darkest moments of Israel's history saw the fact that they would return to their land that God gave them. And even God in Ezekiel 36 said, I'm going to act. I'm going to return you. And so you can't turn a blind eye to those things. And that's why I love talking about the importance of Israel in the scriptures and for Christians, because it's a testament to the faithfulness of our God, that these people, the Jewish people tie, I'm sure you said this before. They should not be here. Like right. they technically, if you were an anthropologist and you did some statistics and you added up the numbers of all the people groups in the world, the Jewish people shouldn't be here. They should be long gone. They should have been annihilated a long time ago. And there's a lot of people that tried to do it, but they're still here. And not only are they still here, somehow they're the only people group in the entire world that make up a very, very, very small minority of the population globally, less than 1% of the world's population is Jewish. And yet they're the only people group in the world that went back to their ancient homeland. No right. other group of people have ever done that before. And so 1948 is such an important thing for Christians to see. I don't know how it plays out, Ty. That's up to God. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know what happens in the end, according to the scriptures, but I can't tell you all the de details about what happens, you know, tomorrow or a few years from now. But what I can tell you is that God will continue to remain faithful to the Jewish people because he made an unconditional promise to Abraham. And if he made an unconditional promise to Abraham, that same promise, guess what, is the promise keeping God that we believe in. So when Jesus says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, that is a promise you can take to the bank because every time you see a Jewish person, you can go, oh my goodness, 
Oh my goodness, there's a Jewish person. They're still here. A testament to God's faithfulness. Or, oh my goodness, tomorrow, Ty, I'm getting on a plane and I'm going to Israel. I'm going there with a hundred people. It's mind-blowing to think about the fact that we can go to the Holy Land, to a Jewish state. That's just one of those things that I always think Christians should just go, what is God doing? It's amazing. So that's why when I look at that, I see God's faithfulness, Ty, in all of it. You cite some stats, or one stat in particular, um, from a recent survey that uh, indicated that support for Israel among young evangelicals is waning. But mm-hmm. you're you're an optimistic guy, Chris. I, I love that about you. And you you write this: the stats can seem justifiably negative, but there's always a silver lining with God, particularly with the 42.2 percent of young evangelicals who responded that they support neither side over the other. And then you referenced uh, three Christian Zionists of the last century. Uh, A large percentage of young evangelical Christians, you write, are waiting to hear what Heckler, Blackstone, and Wingate read. So these are these these, uh, Zionists who were Zionists because of the Old Testament scriptures. They are waiting to be reached with the biblical truth that God is not finished with Israel. So how do we reach younger evangelicals with the truth of God's love for Israel and the Jewish people? I think it's actually very, very, very easy. I mean, if you are an evangelical, then you believe in the you believe in the truth of the scriptures. Uh, you know, the one thing that should bind evangelicals together is the fact that we believe in the inspiration of the scriptures, mm-hmm. and you believe that they're inerrant and that God breathed the scriptures. Right. So the issue then is not the fact that we disagree on the source of truth. Okay, that's important. So we all agree that the source of truth is the scriptures. Well, now it's how do we understand the Old Testament and the New Testament and who is God talking to? And I really think it is a basic element of just if people could hear the truth and see it uh, and, and, and hear it and be taught that, hey, listen, we are a part of a plan that God has as Christians that roots into Christ and then Christ back to Abraham mm. and David, King David and all the history of Israel that you've been grafted in. You know, I don't know if there's many Christian young adults that hear the phrase you've been grafted in well, right. grafted into what, you know, I think the 42%, that's a large majority of evangelical Christians that that means they don't know. That's it. Mm-hmm. You know, There's a portion that say we support the Palestinians. There's a portion that say, yes, we believe God has a plan for Israel. Those are on the two edges. But the large, the almost, you know, almost half of the number of young evangelicals, I just think it comes down to a simple, hey, can I show you a passage in the Bible Mm. that you can't deny these passages? And then let me show you something. Look right over there. There's the state of Israel. Jewish people are still here. God has a plan. And Jesus is coming back again. That's right. And so when you when you are, I, I honestly think if you can just connect the dots from Abraham to Christ and then to the individual, I honestly think they go, I never thought about that. Mm. I've had old people tell me, older, forget about young people. Older people say, I've been going to church my whole life, Chris. I never heard that before. That's amazing. Wow. Yeah. And so, you know, I honestly think it's just comes down to how are we reaching young adults with this truth? Mm. It, I think it's as simple as that. And you're doing one of the one of the real practical ways of getting people engaged with this truth. You're going to Israel, and we invite everybody to go to Israel and to, to experience the land. So I just want to ask you this, Chris. Throughout the book, 
you have suggestions of places to visit in Israel that are related to the the topic that you're discussing in those chapters, I have to ask, what's your favorite place to visit in Israel, and and why is it your favorite? Can I can I mention two? All right, so Ty, you might hate me for the first one, but it's grown on me over the years. Okay. The first one is the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. Ah. Here's the reason why. I know a lot of evangelicals, they get to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, and it's like, you know, there's this, ah, it's it's like religion, and it's, uh, you know, the merging of, you know, Catholicism and uh, Eastern Orthodoxy and all this. Mm-hmm. But you know what I often think, too, is that that location, which is the historical location, um, is the location of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And I know what happens in there, but when I walk around, I'm amazed that God preserved that mm. location. Yep. It could have been it could have been a bus stop, right? You know what I mean? We we if they didn't build that church there, and forget you know, there's a lot of stuff that happens there that we're not big fans of. But if they didn't build that church, it would be very awkward for Christians to go to the local bus stop <laughs> to worship Jesus's uh, um, uh, death, burial, and resurrection. So I actually like going there because. It's a time when I, sometimes I can even break away from the group for a second and just take in removing all the stones of the church and the people and just think for a moment that this is the location uh, in this area where Jesus would have been on the cross uh, and, and, and his body laid down, prepared, put in the, in, the, in, the, uh, in the tomb and then resurrected three days later. It's just one of those moments where you go, wow, that's just a, a, an amazing experience. Yeah. Um, the other one, though, for me is definitely sitting down um, on the shores of the Sea of Galilee and just thinking that 70% of Jesus's ministry, um, where he, he his fame became known, happened right here. And just sitting down and taking it in um, for a moment. And it happens fast and you have to, you know, you're sitting there and you're thinking about it. But it does. It, it's a special, special place uh, to sit there and think that I'm looking at the exact same geography that my savior saw as he was ministering to people and calling them to ministry. Mm. Uh, so that's always a, a humbling place uh, as well. Sure is. Well, listeners, I've been talking with Chris Katalka, author of the recently released book, Israel Always, Experiencing God's Pursuit of You Through His Chosen People. I highly recommend this book. I plan on giving it out to as many believers as I can. And you can get a copy by visiting foi.org and clicking on the resource tab there. Chris, thank you for writing this book, and thanks for joining me here on Gesher today. Ty, you're the man. Thank you. You've been listening to Gesher, a ministry outreach production of FOI Equip, your free resource for learning and engaging with the scriptures from a Jewish perspective. To learn more, visit foiequip.org. And for more information about Thai, visit foi.org forward slash Perry. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Shalom.